I'm Lauren. And I'm Austin. We are an interracial couple raising a biracial daughter and have regular conversations about the value of our different experiences and how we want to raise our child. We believe that God made people of different ethnicities for His glory alone. But like many other things sin corrupts, we have made a mockery out of what God meant to be good. And in comes racism, a very real problem plaguing our hearts and minds and therefore invading systems of this world. So we decided to hit the record button as we discuss race, division, unity, and how to live a life in opposition to this sin specifically. We hope you'll join us as we dive headfirst into current topics, discuss ways to live a life against racism, and ultimately seek on earth as it is in heaven, a place that will be filled with people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. You're listening to Grace and Race, a podcast about practicing anti-racism and promoting unity in families and communities. Hey, everybody. What it do? So we are back with another episode. Thanks for joining us again this week. Still no baby as of Wednesday night when we're recording this, uh, which makes a lot of sense because I still had almost a month left of pregnancy at this point with my last one this time around. So we're back and we're going to keep coming at you until the baby comes to us. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> awesome. So I guess we're going to talk first about roses and thorns. Um, oh, yeah. And then our environment. So real quick, just as a little bit of a, not a disclaimer, but just bringing you guys in on our situation. Um, so we usually record this podcast in our in our bedroom, which is like kind of the deepest room of the house and usually the most comfortable for both of us. However, um, being as pregnant as I am, it's not that comfortable anymore. So we are out in, in the middle of our apartment, probably talking just a little bit quieter so we don't wake up the baby. And then also there's like a really loud air return right by us. And Austin's Austin is sitting in a chair in our our dining room chairs. Fun story about these chairs. They they were my grandparents whenever they first got married, my parents whenever they first got married, and then they're now ours. So there's a little bit they're a little bit creaky. The chair will basically be reminding me of my weight uh, throughout <laughs> the duration of this podcast. We've got some new chairs actually coming to our apartment very soon, um, which we're excited about. But anyways, for, for this episode, you might be hearing a, an air return and some, some creaky chairs. But hey, if you've come back week after week at this point, <laughs> we trust that, that you are invested enough to hear a chair creak every now and then. Yeah. <laughs> and we appreciate that. Um, us, yes. If you were, if this is your first time listening, um, welcome. We're glad to have you in this space, and we would absolutely love it if you guys would leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, or if that's an option wherever you're listening to it. Listening that would also be great. Ooh, last thing. Um, so whenever you have a baby inside of you, the baby pushes up on all of your organs and especially your lungs. So you run out of breath really quickly. So if I sound like I'm running out of breath, it's not because I'm deeply out of shape. It's 
which, you know, I might be, but it's <laughs> because there's, there's a child that's pressing on my diaphragm. So I've anyways, seen your, I've seen your pregnancy workout. Video. I've seen your present pregnancy workout videos. You're in shape. Okay. <laughs> anyways, so welcome back. Excited to excited to be back with you guys again this week. So roses and thorns. This week, my rose is this. It's just guys, it's all going to be related to this pregnancy and or baby from this point forward. So sorry if I, if I annoy you talking about it too much, but, um, my rose is, I got a new birth ball. For those of you who don't know, a birth ball is literally an exercise ball that you call a birth ball whenever you're pregnant. (laughs) Um, so I got one of those and it's comfy to sit on. That's a, that's a great rose in my mind. And then my thorn, I don't know that I really have a thorn. Yeah, no, it's, it's good. I'm feeling really good right now. I mean, I would say just like general pregnancy symptoms that come this late in the game, but it's not that bad. It's just part of it. So anyways, Austin, what are yours? Yeah. So, um, I guess my thorn right now would be just I'm really tired and I'm a teacher. So spring break is right around the corner and it's just been such a emotional, an emotional semester, emotional year. It's like the thorn is like, why is it not spring break yet? (laughs) (laughs) But the the rose is I'm a speech coach as well and we had a tournament we held the first ever uh well not ever I guess is the first Tennessee in-person speech tournament we we actually held that and we felt like we did that in a safe way but we also did it in a um, way where a lot of the kids could still be uh, competitive so for example we would uh, mark off points in the room in the beginning or at the front of a class and it would mark with duct tape hey this is a line you don't need to pass for your performance so performers could take their mask off and then we um, put sticky notes on the desks around the room to distance and you know just like creative things just to keep it as safe as possible while also giving the kids that feel um, really we did it for the seniors you know um, not just at the whole circuit but specifically our seniors too so that was my rose. I had so many parents helping me. Oh my gosh. Um, and, and, and serving really was a team effort. So to get that tournament, we just did a national qualifying videos. The season is like at the climax for me right now. So the rose is just seeing all these kids working really, really hard. Uh, we're spending quality time together and we're just pursuing super <laughs> Uh, super, I almost said super big, but <laughs> really big <laughs> goals. I'm so tired. I'm so sorry, y'all. I'm going to wake up. Man, okay. Well, good. Yeah, it was It was definitely a sweet weekend as far as that goes. So this week, we are hitting a topic that actually we didn't really come up with. Someone had messaged us with a general question about this topic, Um via Instagram and we answered the question in a previous episode but we really wanted to kind of expand upon that answer and and talk about it either even more 
this is a topic that I had not even given like any consideration to until recently or whenever I say recently I mean recently kind of in my life and in in my journey my anti-racism journey or world um and that is black spaces so I want to I'm gonna do the thing like I always do where I just ask Austin a lot of questions about this specific topic um, because it's something that I'm still working to understand better as well. So Austin, can you kind of define, will you tell us what a black space is and give us some examples of those? Great. So one thing we got to do is understand why black spaces exist in the context of America. That's really, really important. So if you haven't, go back to our Really, our first podcast, we break down what racism is, specifically um, tackling white supremacy. So when you look at it from that perspective, if we're in a country where white supremacy was the foundation, right, whenever you can say all men are equal and all men have inalienable, inalienable rights while having chains around black people, women, and children, when you can live in that kind of world, it wasn't for all people, right? So all people really meant white people. And even then, it was with a specific social status or economic status. So <clears throat> very elite group, um, obviously not gospel-centered uh, at all, very antithetical to the gospel. And so when you look at America through that lens, you'll notice, okay, when there were black spaces, these are intentional, safe places for black people to congregate, to encourage, to uh, vent, to express, to do so many things together uh, in hopes of not being uh, tampered with or messed with or brought down. So I'll give you an example. A lot of people today, you probably have heard this quote, you know, Sunday is the most segregated time of the year, you know, or sorry, segregated time of the hour week. Of the week. Yeah, hour of the week. I would just botch that like four <laughs> different times. I didn't know I could mess up a quote four times. It's a Martin Luther King Jr. quote. Yes, yes, MLK. Um, and so people were like, man, like I've heard a lot of white Christians like that's so dumb. Like we should be, you know, integrated and stuff like that. It's like, okay, listen, you know, black churches exist because the way it was set up originally was white people literally made it to where it wasn't safe for black people to worship with them. Right. They literally made this like people who were enslaved, like, OK, y'all go worship God outside. Y'all go to the barn. Y'all go out to the field. Y'all go over there. Y'all can't worship with us. Like that was that was the start of it. Y'all a black church isn't just like natural. Like, let's just make a black church. It was OK. We need a place where we can safely come together and we can express our love for God and, and encourage each other. And so that's where it comes from. And because of terrorism, um, domestic terrorism, because of the KKK who use burning crosses. Are you hearing me? They use spiritual sim symbolism for demonic purposes uh, because of Bombingham where churches, black churches were blown up. Are you hearing me? This, this is history. These are things that actually happened. It created an atmosphere where it was black people. You go over here to be safe and worship Jesus. And we'll, we got our place over here. I remember Billy Graham later in his, I think it was later in his life, maybe mid-year. He actually would, he refused to um, preach at churches that wouldn't integrate. 
there was there were stories that I read on that that he actually would um, look and see that there was like yarn or tape, like trying to segregate like, hey, black people over here within the church, like within the church. They were like black people sit over here. You see what I mean? And he, he would literally like tear those down and be like, I'm not I'm not preaching here unless you open it up. And and that's what I'm trying to say. Black spaces, they exist because of um, terrorism because of domestic terrorism that is usually pushed by white supremacy. So that's why it's very important when you hear like a black colleges, HBCUs, like some people say, that's so racist. No, it's not. We literally tried to go to your institutions and we got rocks thrown at us, um, signs saying that we can be killed. Um, like that's what happened. And so we said, you know what, forget this. We know we're good enough to make it a college, we can do it too. Intelligence isn't just a white thing, it's a human thing. So we knew that and we created HBCUs. So you gotta understand, black spaces are a response to a white supremacy, um, I guess, sanctioned terrorism. So what are some, can you give us some other examples as well? So you kind of, you touched on the church, you touched on HBCUs. So like bigger systems, what are some examples of maybe some black spaces that are not just a response to, well, I, and I guess, does this exist? I'm only asking because I feel like I've heard you tell me about these things, but don't only exist as a response to racism and terrorism, as you just described it, but also like a place to celebrate one another. So I'll give you an example. Um, the question that we got whenever we were, whenever we were answering this question kind of in short form on, I believe it was our interracial marriage episode, um, was about the Black Entertainment Channel. And you talked about that, you talked about that space um, and about how like it would be weird if it not weird. It would be racist if there was a white entertainment channel. So what are some other kind of <laughs> kind of areas that that exist? So like there's that like big tier. What are some smaller tier kind of areas that exist? That's a great point. So for those. Yeah. For, they're probably black entertainment. BET. I don't know yeah, if they, yeah. some people don't even know what that means. So when right. you've heard BT, that's why I just said out what it yeah, was. Black, yeah, exactly. So I'm, I'm saying for the people who yeah, hear yeah. black entertainment and don't put that with BT. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. BT. So entertainment, right? Music is a safe space, a safe space. And especially certain genres. Another thing is you probably have heard this, you know, the salon, the barbershop. You know, it's so funny, like, even at HBCUs, even black churches, like the big ones, even when you look at smaller ones like a barbershop or, you know, a student union, a black student union, things of that nature, it's like, while they might not be responding to terrorism directly right now, it's it comes off the implications of that. That's what I'm trying to say. So, like, intense, grotesque, ugly, overt um, demonic, disgusting actions towards black people literally forced us to be and create our own spaces where we're safe. And because, um, racism has not been, you know, it's not as overt anymore. It really isn't like it's, it's not as overt anymore. Um, and because of that, that doesn't mean it's dead. It just means it's evolved. And so now we deal with the evolution of those evil actions, 
um, still in our safe places. So that's why when people laugh, I, I've had, you know, my friends get their haircut and they kind of laugh at like the idea of it's like, man, we, we cannot spend all day, you know, cutting our hair and talking and stuff. And it's like when you're there, it just, you you know, you know, you know, like it's hard to explain. It's hard to explain. But black spaces are real and they're needed in a country that widely disrespects black spaces and thinks it's the problem and says that's what's wrong with the country and that's what's wrong with the world rather than saying hmm what's making them like really tight with each other like what's making them really like what what is that like what, what why did that happen why did that start instead of asking the tough questions it's easy to say well black people are just segregating and they're the issue and they don't want any progress so what would you say to someone who says, well, this is just a different type of segregation? So you got to remember, segregation is not inherently separation. We use those as synonyms. Segregation was to literally say you were not as good as me. Like that's that was the heart behind separation. When you segregate it, you when you said that black person can't come to my school. You were saying they're not they should not come to my school. They're not able to come to my school. They're not capable of doing that. I don't want my kids to play with them. I don't want my kids to learn with them. I don't want my I don't want my kids to be, you know, I don't know, I guess perverted by them. Whatever the thought process is was. Segregation was separation with evil intention. So when you separate, it's not inherently wrong. It's not. Uh, we do it all the time in different groups. For example, you know, for a church camp. Hey, boys, young men, let's go meet over here. Ladies, women, let's go meet over there. Is that segregating the men and the women? No, because you're separating them to build both of them up. You're saying, men, uh, boys, you guys are probably going through something specific, unique. Let's talk that out. Girls, you're probably going through something specific, unique. Let's talk that out. Doesn't mean that there's not crossover. There is. But what I'm trying to say is like, separation is not the issue it's separation to prove one group superior and another inferior that's what was wrong about it and that's what was disgusting about it and you can't genuinely separate every area of your life and think that equality exists so black spaces don't like exist all the time everywhere you see what i mean like these are usually for intentional moments intentional purposes intentional reasoning behind uh, why such black spaces exist. If that if that makes sense. Did I answer what you said? Yeah. Okay, so kind of a follow-up to that. So if black spaces are are so valuable, should there also be white spaces? So great. And that's why we always ask y'all to look at this from a cultural standpoint. A black space, one of the reasons for black space is to literally have people tell you... <laughs> messaging that contradicts white supremacy like for example you know in a white supremacy um written country you're going to hear for example like oh if you speak english you're acting white if you're dressing nice oh you're you're dressing like you're white you hear all of these positive connotations to white and all these negative connotations to black so in black spaces you are getting the exact opposite they're saying no 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 nice is anybody can be nice right anybody could dress nice anybody can talk with you know speak with english anybody can do this it's encouraging black people 
this is who we are. You got to understand that's the difference between like white power and black power. Black power is saying, hey, we matter. We are powerful too. Like we, we deserve love, respect, and all of the things that you would give to your white counterparts. That's what that means. White power is we're trying to dominate. We, which look at the numbers, look at history. We want to dominate. We want to um, objectify. We want to be in control. Those are two different messages, same or similar language, but it's two different messages. White people do not need a safe place because when you go into um, most of your interactions with people, you're the majority, right? And historically speaking, you did not inherit um honestly the short end of the stick you didn't not from a racial standpoint like it does not mean your heart your life hasn't been hard or difficult or you haven't gone through adversity or you're not worthy of um people being proud of you or people being um inspired by you that's not what that means what it means is all of those things you've hurdled none of them had to do with you being black and seen as less none of them did not, not one thing. So you got to think about from a black person's perspective who went through the same things as you and they're wearing skin color that has been targeted in this country. And then on top of that, not only targeting this country, when you speak up against it, then you have people who tell you to shut up and stop talking about it. So that that's what it comes down to is um, white spaces don't exist as far as like formally you don't need white spaces because White people, not just with the numbers, but just if you look at government, if you look at the Fortune 500 companies, if you look at just the one percent, um, it's very white for a reason. Um, and a lot of that's generational wealth. A lot of that is elements uh, that black people is very difficult for black people to have and to obtain. I think one thing to remember when we're having this conversation historically is that when integration happened, it wasn't necessarily about legally allowing white people into black spaces. It was about legally allowing black people into white spaces. So as a white person living in that time, if you went over and like went to something that said coloreds only, then that was like, you're probably not looking at you're very likely not looking at, in fact, I would say almost definitely not looking at being persecuted in any type of way by anybody, that everything was considered um, available to white people. Now, would you maybe be judged or looked at harshly by other white people? Yeah. Um, but it, it was, nothing was really off limits to white people, especially not legally, especially not legally. It was to black people. And so whenever integration happened, it wasn't saying, okay, now everybody is legally allowed to integrate with everybody. It was saying black people, you are now legally allowed in these white spaces. And so what happened was the white spaces remained white spaces, but black people were just now allowed into them. And so I think that that kind of translates to now is that almost everything is inherently a white space that black people are just allowed into unless we we specifically fight that, like unless we specifically do something to go against that. So, okay, follow-up follow up question to that. Is there a way for white people 
to respectfully enter into black spaces. Yes, you got to enter in knowing your history. You know, your goal isn't to necessarily, okay, let's make all black people happy. And I'm not like those people that they think that I am. That's not your number one priority. Your number priority is to show that you're an agent of heal, healing and not harm. So to do that, you got to walk in with humility. You got to walk in with ears to listen, slow to speak, um, quick to listen, right? And you got to understand you're, built, you're dealing with people who have gone through generational trauma. Hmm. Like, you know, I use this example all the time. Um, and trigger warning, God forbid this is anyone listening. Um, but if someone is in an abusive relationship, you know, the the guy who is abusing the the lady, you don't get to, you know, let me give you a better example. If you're a guy and you're dating a girl, you're pursuing a girl who was in an abusive relationship. So maybe you didn't do it directly. She was in an abusive relationship. You don't get to go into that relationship and dictate the terms. You don't get to say, no, I'm sorry, I'm a touchy-feely person. I, I I have to hug you right now. If she says step away and she's getting hot flashes, she's, she's getting triggered, you step away. Don't take it personally. Like, that's her communicating to you, this is what I need right now. If you have a really loud laugh and that puts fear into her and that gives her a tr- work on the laugh or or leave or leave. Like, you can't sit there and try to dominate it and say, no, this is what I always do. You know, I always hold my girl's hands like this. And I always do. You're dealing with someone who was in an abusive relationship. You got to be careful. You can't raise your voice in a fight. I mean, you could try. I'm just and I'm giving y'all examples. I'm just saying when you're dealing with people who's been through trauma, you don't get to walk in there and say, this is how we're going to do it. This is this is what real this is what the problem was. Hello? I mean, come on now. We got to have humility. So when you enter black spaces, have humility. Be all ears. Um, be we- be ready to weep and cry. Be ready to laugh and rejoice when people are laughing and rejoicing. Really, Romans 12 does equip you, white Christian, um, to get it rolling, to be an agent of help in that kind of space and not an agent of harm. I think I just want to say something really fast to, to the white people who are listening and wondering or thinking about maybe a time that you entered a black space and didn't feel immediately welcomed with, with open arms and might've gotten hurt by that. Um, I'm going to say this in such a way that's not very gentle. Um, And it's because I needed, because someone needed to say that to me. Please stop getting butthurt whenever people are skeptical about you, whenever you're entering into a black space. I say that because, again, it's something that happened to me. And I felt very much as if like, well, I've never done anything to you. So how do you have any... How, how do you know how I'm going to act? How, why would you assume how I'm going to act? But we got to remember, and again, this is going back to some of our first episodes, that, that every single personal interaction has 
historical context, right? So um, Austin and I moved to a historically black neighborhood in Nashville whenever we bought our first home. And I was the only white person on our street for sure. And probably in, in a few streets and one of very few. And so whenever I would walk out to get the mail or whenever I would really do anything, go out to my car, um, I noticed that people were looking at me like, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And I am really thankful that Austin and I got to have some good conversation about that at that time in that. You know, it was the first time that I felt that I ever felt that. It was the first time or that I ever felt that consistently where I was the quote unquote, like when you're talking about numbers, I was the minority in an area, not that I am a minority person, um, but I was the minority in that area and people wanted to know what I was doing there. And I realized that's how people look at Austin whenever he goes anywhere. He has to prove himself first before he can get, you know, that stamp of approval. And the the difference is, you might be asking, well, Lauren, how's that any different? How is it different that, that you ha- would have to prove yourself whenever you're just living in your house, whenever you're just in your neighborhood? And the difference is that the people who are on my street have been discriminated against by people who look like me. Austin, whenever he just walks into somewhere, the reason that he has to prove himself is because of racism. It's because of discrimination. It's because of the way that we tend to historically look at people with his skin tone. It's because of all of that. And so if you are walking into a space that is black, maybe it's a black church, maybe you want to go to an HBCU, maybe you're walking in to get your hair cut somewhere, wherever it is, whatever it is. If you feel the need to quote unquote prove yourself, what Austin was just talking about, about walking in with humility, that is the way that you do that. That is the way that you do that. You don't do it by getting upset because you weren't the one who owned slaves or you weren't around whenever civil rights was happening or whatever. It's, it's about taking a step back and saying, there is a reason that people feel that, that people here, here feel safer when they're together. And there is a reason that it might feel like I'm intruding that space. And so be sensitive to that if at some point you feel that it would be better for you to leave in order to like give again give people their space do that respect that um and if not sit back and learn and listen and just and just be part of it um but it can i i know i know how that can feel and i would just ask fight that, fight that feeling. It's, it comes from pride. It comes from a place of not wanting to be seen as a certain way, but the best way to not be seen that way is to, to humble ourselves, um, and to understand that there's a reason that people feel this way. There is a, and there's a very good, real reason that people feel this way. Can I, can I, can I go in? One, I'm so glad you shared that. 
I love that you shared that. And I want to give, especially the believers, a picture. So one thing I'm very passionate about is my white brothers and sisters, a lot of them don't hear the word applied to race. We apply it to, we talked about this last time, we apply it to everything. We apply it to our boys playing football on Friday Night Lights. We apply it to the GPA when we're trying to get into college. We apply the scriptures to so many things, as we should, right? But for some reason, when race comes up, it's, that's not the context. And I say it in that voice because it's real ironic when you talk about context for things that Paul was not talking about. We know there's this thing called application and you can apply the word faithfully. So with race, here's a picture that you can apply with is actually Luke 14. And I believe it's verses eight and nine, maybe let me, let me just go to it and read it because I, I really think it's, it's helpful. So it's the parable of the wedding feast. And he says, when you are invited, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you will both come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. So why am I saying that? Enter the room with humility. Don't enter a black space saying, well, I'm the ally. You know, I'm, I'm for you. I'm not against you and position yourself in a place where your lips going to end up getting dropped. Mm -hmm. Because if you go in there with the white savior complex, if you go in there with the haughtiness, like I'm, I'm here to save the day, I'm telling you, that's that's probably not going to work well. And it might in some places, but that doesn't make it right. Mm -hmm. I'm just telling you, I'm trying to brace you as a white brother and sister in Christ. Walk in those spaces with that humility. Don't sit in the place of honor. You know, you might have somebody randomly cussing you out. You see what I'm saying? Like you gotta prep for that stuff. Like you, you, y'all. We gotta be, we gotta be about this life because y'all. I want y'all to be ready. I want y'all to be ready. Like you might be dealing with people with trauma. You said something. Good morning, uh, and someone said that to you. Are you just gonna shut it down? Racial reconciliation don't matter anymore because someone was rude to you. You see what I'm saying? Like, don't be doing it when it's all easy and chummy and your black friends, you know, says what you think is talking white and dresses white. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying being able to relate to black brothers and sisters, black image bearers who are upset and frustrated and hurt and damaged by hundreds of years of injustice. So you just you just got to walk in with that humility. It's not easy too. you got to prep yourself, like prep yourself for battle, prep yourself for war. Understand your flesh is going to get pricked. Understand the Holy Spirit is going to humble you. Understand it's going to be painful. But y'all, sheesh, it's like a good workout. <laughs> yeah, it burns, but you're going to be stronger later. That is such a good reminder. And I've I've never heard anybody go to that passage of scripture talking about this specifically. So thank you for that. Um, okay, so if you're not following Emmanuel Acho on Instagram, if you got an Instagram, <laughs> what are you doing with your life? That's what Austin just said. Um, or YouTube or, or whatever. He's, he's the guy that did the uncomfortable conversations with a black man. And uh, it was like a, a series that went super viral. He partnered with Oprah. It was all kinds of it was all kinds of good, um, and it still is. And he recently wrote a book. Anyways, he has on his Instagram. He will every now and then just like put out some quick like one or two minute 
videos and one of the recent ones that he put out was talking and his his audience is mostly he is he is speaking to white people whenever he talks about whenever he's trying to educate people about these things and this little two-minute video that he put out was so good um he said the problem whenever um whenever segregation was outlawed is that while we outlawed segregation, we never, what was, how did he say it? We out, we, sh, we outlawed segregation, but we should have mandated integration. And so his point was, we have to mandate integration into our own lives. Okay, let's bring that into this conversation. Again, he's talking, he's talking to white people, right? So Austin, if black spaces are so good, if they're healing, if all of these things that we've said are true, then why should white people be pursuing diversity or mandating integration into our own lives? I think is what you said earlier. Understand that most spaces are white spaces. So you have to think about the things you guys can control. Think about the things that you have power over. So your goal isn't to break up black spaces, which that's what makes black people feel safe. It's to make sure your space that isn't a white space, mm -hmm. that it's the right space. Okay, I'm spitting bars. No, it ain't the white space. It's the right space, okay? And I'm not talking about conservatives, and I'm not talking about Republican. <laughs> that is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about right as in correct, it's got to be correct. And you got to set a tone. I want to do an episode on this on culture, how to create a culture. Mm -hmm. Because I'm a speech teacher. Rhetoric, you got to understand the way that the book of James talks about words, it's spiritual warfare. You have to speak. You have to speak, y'all. You cannot be silent when there are demons rolling around here. Like straight up, <laughs> we got demons. And this is what's crazy. I have more non-believing friends who can feel those forces. They'll say that the vibe ain't right, the energy ain't right. They'll actually point to it more than a lot of my Christian friends. Mm -hmm. Like they understand when something ain't rolling. And I'm like, listen, why don't, why don't you know? Jesus talks about this directly. Paul really hits this over the head. We do not battle with flesh and blood. Mm -hmm. It's the rulers, it's the authorities, the principalities in this present darkness. So um, you gotta speak. You have to say out loud, this spirit is not welcomed. You have to make sure it's open. You can't whistleblow and create a safe space. It ain't going to happen through whistleblowing. You got to be straight up, straightforward. That's why when you coddle white supremacy and, and make excuses for it, you know, it shows his ugly head. You got to sit up and say, nope, not today. You're going to have to go somewhere else with that. That's not a, that is not allowed. If you want to come correct, come correct. If you want to apologize, apologize. But we're not doing this. You have to say that. You have to work at that. And you have to include people of color. You have to include black and brown people in those decision making. And say, hey, I trust you. You know, I, I love you. I, I, have, I have respect for you. What do you think? How do you think this would be helpful? And I'm telling you, if you keep going to black people that say the same things that you say, it's you might as well go to a white person. Who feels the same way that you say? If they're just going to say the same thing, you're not going to get challenged. Mm -hmm. So I would say that. Focus on what you can control. Focus on creating the space that you're in that's probably a white space majority. 
and figuring out how to make it safe for people that don't look and sound like you. Austin, you just started answering my last question, but I'm going to ask it anyways, because I think that there are probably a lot of places we can go with this, but how can knowing about respecting and then potentially experiencing traditionally black spaces aid our anti-racism journey? Hmm. The way you phrase it though, is low key isn't the same. Hmm. Like, I don't know why you thought that was low key. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe I missed it, but the, anti-racism journey you gotta know that it's the you gotta know your past right because that's gonna impact the present which changes the future you got to y'all and if you if your catchphrase is get over it it happened a long time ago i'm just gonna encourage you right now you don't say that for a lot of things Hmm. you you don't say get over it for pearl harbor you don't say get over for 9-11. You don't say get over for, you know, and you're probably saying, well, though, Austin, those things were recent. The 40s. I heard people say, remember Pearl Harbor forever. That's 40s. 60s was civil rights, y'all. That's 20 years after. Hmm. So don't talk to me about Pearl Harbor. <laughs> then tell me you want to ignore civil rights movement. Are you Are you hearing me? So remember, the past helps you in the present so you could change the future and if you want a future that is brighter if you want a future that involves and includes more people if you want that future you got to go to the past and roll up your sleeves and figure out who the heck built which walls and you need to use the past to figure out to tear which wall uh, to figure out how to tear whatever wall needs to come down what is it ephesians we were supposed to tear down the walls of hostility. Look at that. There's a racial application right there. You might not have built the wall. Don't sit here and tell me, oh, I didn't have slaves. That's irrelevant. Are you willing to tear that down? And I'm not talking about, oh, of course it's bad. No, no, you don't say of course it's bad when, you know, someone chose to have an abortion months or maybe weeks before the baby. You don't say it then. You say that's wrong. You say that's murder. So quit picking and choosing things to get passionate about. Hmm. Look at the Bible. See what breaks the heart of God and let your heart break. See what brings joy to God and then let your heart be happy and glad. Quit picking and choosing. Quit cherry picking. And if you're weak in this area, just admit it. Say, dang, honestly, I'm not nearly as passionate as I need to be. Or I really don't see this. Admit it. Repentance is good. When the church thinks repentance is bad, I've called so many people to repent and uh, Christians offended. I said, do you know what repentance is? That actually helps restore your relationship with God. <laughs> like when that's bad, woe to the man who calls good evil and evil good. Woe to the man. If you're listening to this and you've called, when someone calls you to repent, you've called it evil. Woe to the man. No, no, no. Especially if someone's saying you you are hurting you are you are adding to the pain and adding to pictures that don't reflect the image uh, and the reflection of the kingdom of heaven. You you got to come on. It's got to reflect the kingdom of heaven on earth as it is in heaven until our last breath. So I'm talking a lot right now because I'm fired up. I thought Lauren had some amazing points. I really hope you are taking this in. But again, 
I love what you said, Lawrence. Like some of this, it doesn't feel sweet. It doesn't feel tender. It doesn't feel very, it's like, man, you could have been nicer in saying that. Listen to me, please listen to me. The kindness is we want to see you thrive. The goodness isn't always in the delivery. Sometimes it's in why we said it. And you got to be okay with that because Jesus does that to us, right? Like sometimes it's not because he's like, Austin, can you please do this better? Like sometimes he gives me a butt whooping. Like Hebrew says, he disciplines his children. Mm -hmm. And if you are not disciplined, you're probably not a child of God. If you're not being disciplined by God. So he talks about the discipline. But the discipline, a butt woman doesn't always feel kind and gentle. But I know he did that so that it would help me reflect him better. And I'll be in better community with him. I'll be in better community with his people. I'll be in better community with image bearers as a whole. So please, when you're hearing these podcasts and they're tough, I really do think you should pause. Just pause it. Pray. Shoot. If you cry, if you get mad, let your emotions out. But just understand that God has equipped you with the Holy Spirit of the living God. To have the power and the gift and the blessing of repenting from your sin. That is that is beautiful. That should never be a burden to you. And and it, once it, that happens, repent. Because guess what? I have to do the same thing. We all got blind spots. It's just in different areas typically. And that's why we need each other as the body to help each other out. So humble yourself um, and, and understand this is this is for your good. <laughs> Cause I'm, t- I'm, you know, you know what breaks my heart, Lauren. Why? Thinking about all of the white brothers and sisters who weren't really white brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. who they did the Christian thing. They went to church. They might have worked for the church. They said the Christiany stuff. They talked about how God loves them and how they love God. They they did all of this blabber and all this talking, and it seemed so genuine. And they did all these amazing things. And when they go to Judgment Day and God separating the goat from the sheep, and I'm not talking about greatest of all time, when He separating the goat and the sheep, and they said, "Father, we did this in Your name. We cast out demons in Your name. We did all these things." He said, "I never knew you. Depart from me, evildoer." That that gives me chills. And right now my stomach's actually churning because I'm like, you know how many racist white people really think they're going to the kingdom of heaven? You cannot hate your brother and love God. Mm-hmm. Take it up with Jesus. You got to read the text. Take it up with Jesus. And I know that means people's uncles, aunties, moms, dads. I understand that very well. That breaks my heart. But we got to take this serious, y'all salvation literally is on the line not only for your soul but the way you articulate god to other people so please take this seriously if you need to step away pray gather yourself do it if you got to reach out to a brother and sister that you know won't judge you and they'll love you through this reach out to them say i need help but we got to stop downplaying this and i think the revival that the pastors didn't want in this country is going to end up happening through racial reconciliation. That's going to be the revival in the American church because that's where the first sin started, which was sanctioning a racialized brutality and slavery and then justifying it for cent for. Yeah. Yeah. Centuries. You know, we hit on this a couple of episodes ago, but when Austin says racial reconciliation, he means true racial reconciliation. He doesn't mean just blowing past it. And it really, man, everything that you just said, Austin, it's 
Oh, it's heavy. It's heavy. And as as someone who has had to look at people in my life and ask that question, it's something we have got to talk about. It's something that we've got to address. If we knew that someone we loved was living in any other kind of sin, we would say something. That's we right. would pursue that. So why don't we do it with racism? Why don't we do it with racism? I would just encourage you, one, if you want to, well, address it, address it. If, if you are a believer, and, and again, I'm, we're talking specifically to believers here. If you're a believer and you've got someone in your life who is um, giving into the sin of racism and who, who you know that about, pray about it. Pray about how is the best way to address it, but address it, address it. It's got to be addressed Maybe you can use this podcast as a tool. Maybe you can send them an episode. Um, probably one of our first episodes would be a, be some good ones, the gospel and race, those episodes, those kind of things. Send them that and then say, hey, can we get coffee and talk about this? Or can I, can I take you out to lunch and can we talk about this? We would love, love, love that. Um, but maybe it's not. Maybe you're just taking little pieces from what you're learning. We, we had an episode about tough conversations, um, using that to kind of spur things on. But it's racism is a sin that has to be addressed like any other sin, like any other sin. And if we've got brothers and sisters in Christ who, who claim him but who, who are outwardly showing that they don't love their brothers and their sisters, that's scary. It's not just, oh, that's awkward. That's scary. That's scary. Last thing that I want to hit on, and then I'll see if Austin has anything else to add. But in looking internally, right, and turning the mirror onto ourselves, I think that one of the best things that we can walk away from this conversation specifically about black spaces and why they exist and and why they're helpful, why they're good to the black community. Um, as, as white people, I'm talking to you guys, um, I think that that, I just keep going back to that, that mandate integration point. And I want to give you a couple of ways that you can do that as it relates to this episode. One... If possible, if you feel like your heart is in the right place, and if there is a good, respectful way to do this, go observe and maybe even enter into a black space. Um, I, I don't mean, I don't mean that you need to go and like thrust yourself in somewhere that it's not appropriate, um, or that you're exactly, or that you're not asked to be. I'm talking about something that you just might not normally feel comfortable with, right? Um, and if there's not anything that you know of that, like, you are positive that it would be respectful for you to to go, there are some spaces that aren't real spaces, but that you can do. You can watch black TV shows where you observe, where you're watching black families interact, and you can look at it through the lens of not just this is comedy, but this is written from a perspective that, blackish yeah, Blackish is a is a good show to go to. Um, Mixedish is a good show as well. It's kind of a spinoff of Blackish. It's not a completely black space because it's an inter- interracial family. However. <laughs> 
they talk, the, the dad is white and he's the only white person like that's in that family. And so they talk a lot about him being in this black space and how he kind of exists within his family. Um, but I would definitely say blackish and there are all kinds of other ones, um, where you don't have to physically go somewhere, but you can just look and say, I can see and I can appreciate and I can love the value that this has. And I can better understand how, if I ever am in a space, if I ever find myself in a space that is traditionally black, that I can, I can be humble and I I can humble myself in that space. So that's one thing that you can do. And then another thing is look at the spaces that you exist that are historically white spaces and say, what can we do? What can I do in this area to pursue integration here? And again, don't get butt hurt. Don't be offended if it takes longer than you expect. Just because you go like, hey, black people, you're welcome here. <laughs> Just doing that, that's not going to make people feel welcome. It it takes a continuous creation of a community that is that is not scary for someone to be in um I think churches I think churches are a big and I'm whenever I say churches I mean I'm talking white churches I think a lot of times we do the outreach and we do the thing where we we are looking at black communities as people to be reached and not our neighbors, um, not our brothers and sisters, not the people who are are beside us. And we get all like offended, like, well, how can we do anything else when we're only doing quote unquote outreach? And that's our way to get to get our black brothers and sisters in the doors. Um, it, it feels disingenuous and it feels it can feel really hurtful. Um, and like, again, like the white people are the the big people, white people are the saviors, and, and the black people are those people who need to be reached. Um, and we are going to do an episode about the white savior complex. You've, you've heard us kind of hit on it a couple of times this time. But anyways, I'm kind of rambling at this point. But what I mean is we've got we to gotta undo that. We've got to start treating people just like they're our brothers and sisters. We've got to stop making assumptions about people. We've got we've to gotta do all of the all the things and recognize that it takes work. It takes work. It takes intentionality. It takes making it our goal and our mission and not backing down just because it doesn't seem to work in the first five minutes or it doesn't seem to happen the way that we wanted it to immediately. Thank you so much for hitting all those points, Lauren. And like I said, those shows, like what's very interesting about Blackish and Mixish is they really do an intentional job of teaching. Mm-hmm. And they'll do like little segments too, even if it's cartoon, you know, sketches, they'll try to point you back. So it's not just you're observing. It is, but they're also trying to direct and educate. So awesome. This is this is a heavy episode, but Hopefully it actually lifts the load off of you even more, right? Uh, One thing that I love, Matt Chandler said this, is, you know, the cross outed all of us, y'all. 
Like, <laughs> like we, it's this weird Christianese thing we do, especially in American Christianity. It's just, it's so annoying. It's where we feel pressure to make it look like we got everything together. And it's like, that's just so blasphemous to the cross. You know, it's like, like the cross wouldn't exist. Jesus dying for our sins wouldn't exist if we had everything together. Why are we, why are we faking? Like, you should be the first person saying, you're right, I got weird crap in my heart. You should be the first person. And then you should be the first person who's heartbroken about that. And then you should be the first person who repents about that. And then you should be the first person who responds and acts out of the, like, like, Christian, hear me. You should be the first. So any idea of haughtiness and arrogance and that, that's not me, you know, that's so weird. It's like, that's not of God. Like, you should be the first. So let this hit you. Let this do its work. Let God do his work. Don't quench the spirit. Don't appear to have a form of godliness, by de but deny its power. Let God work in you. Um, and you're, you're going to start to see and hear things that you probably never thought you would hear and see on the side of eternity. Uh, but, yes, this is a very powerful episode. And, again, please don't think that segregation the only thing that was wrong with her, the the worst part was separation. It was much deeper and more insidious uh, than oh, black people over there, white people over there. It was way more systematic, way more intentional, um, and way more demonic than we give credit. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, thanks for sticking with us throughout this episode. Again, we would love for you to share this episode. Um, if it's a, a continuation of a conversation that you've maybe been having in your own life or any of our other episodes. Um, yeah, we're thankful for you guys and we will chat with you again next week. Peace. Thanks so much for listening to Grace and Race. We hope you enjoyed our conversation and also took away some points so that you too can better commit to practicing anti-racism in your own family and community. If you want to stay updated on episodes and join further conversations, head to laurengroves.me backslash join our list. That's laurengroves.me backslash join our list to join our email list. You can also follow us on Instagram at lauren two underscores groves or Groves 8070 to stay updated with our family and join conversations on our public platforms. Thanks for listening. We'll chat with you again soon.